CBS carried this story not too long ago. Uh, a woman who was a part of a tour group uh, kind of uh, was missing. Uh, this, you know, search went out. It involved the police. It involved about 50 uh, searches. Uh, it even involved the Coast Guard helicopter. Uh, what had happened was uh, the woman who had wandered away from the tour uh, changed her clothes. And when she changed her clothes and went back to the bus, uh, no one recognized her. And as a result of that, they thought that this other woman, and the description of her was she was Asian, uh, she was wearing dark clothes, and she spoke well uh, English. Uh, and so uh, that was the description, and everybody is looking for this lady, and she now is, is, is one of the searches who is search. She didn't recognize her own description of herself, and so she became part of the the search. This went on from a Saturday into a Sunday, and uh, finally the, the, they realized the woman that we've been looking for is with us all this time. Well, the police chief said uh, the woman simply didn't recognize the description of herself. She didn't know that she was the one who was lost. I thought about that. I said, my, my goodness, there are so many people that fall into that category who don't know that they're lost, who don't realize just how eternally and desperately that they're lost. You know, one of the, one of the, uh, the most beloved songs, you know, of Christians down through the last probably, I don't know, 100, 200 years, more than that, uh, Amazing Grace. You know, how, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. That, that we were once in that category, you know, of, of, of those that were once lost. When we come to discover, when we, when we search through the Scriptures and we see that the Scripture is talking about us, and we, and we identify ourselves in the Scriptures. That's the first step. The second step is to, is to see the Savior and to savor Him and to treasure Him and to accept Him. And, and then the search is called off. Then, then we become a part of the found. We become a part of those that were once lost but now and found. Um, last Saturday, the... October 13th. I noticed because that was my son's birthday, last Saturday, October 13th. Two years ago, uh, the anniversary of uh, one of the most amazing dramas that uh, has uh, played out before so many millions and millions of people worldwide. Uh, probably about a billion people saw the uh, 13 loss uh, 33. Uh, in Chile, there was uh, a... Uh, an accident in one of the harshest, driest deserts on, on this planet. Uh, the 33 miners from Chile, uh, they, 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 they weren't sure if the men had survived. Because of all of the, the past problems with this old mine, uh, in fact, because of some of the violations and some of the sightings and fines that they've had over the, over the last 12 years, there was about eight people that have, have died. Eight men died in various accidents. And, 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 and the, the nation of Chile had just experienced six months ago, you might remember, a, an earthquake and a tsunami. And now here are these 33 miners who are, who are 
who are presumably dead, maybe, maybe alive, trapped 2,300 feet below solid rock. 2,300 feet. That is, that is the, the length of this building from one end to the other, 23 times that, under the earth. And whether or not they survived, they really didn't know. And all these efforts now are being made. The, 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 the rescue team was working tw- you know, 24-7 to, to rescue these men, to at least find out if they're alive. Presumably with all of the problems that this mine has had in the past, they really weren't sure if the men could have survived. And if they could have s- survived, would they be able to, to, to last uh, because it was a long time. In fact, as it turns out, uh, the, the accident happened on August 5th, and I said October 13th. So there was, no one has, has, has ever survived that length of time in that, this kind of a, of a mining disaster before. But the men found a place of safety and were able to huddle in this one area of the mine even though the, the main you know, tunnel collapsed and uh, they, they went into survival mode. They ate like one spoonful of tuna, a sip of milk, and a morsel of peaches uh, every other day. And they hoped and they prayed and they hoped and they prayed that they would be rescued. At first, the, the company consulted with uh, NASA, consulted with other experts, and, and because, because the efforts were really kind of faltering and going nowhere, they, they, they drilled a lot of holes and couldn't find where they were. Finally, because of the, just the outpouring of the nation and the grief of the families and the empathy that, that, that the nation had for these 33 miners, uh, the government took over the operation of the rescue. And uh, they were finally able to, to drill a, a hole where they were able to now communicate with the men. And then afterwards, they devised a second, a second uh, drilling in which they devised a 13-foot capsule to send on down for the rescue of the men. 69 days in, in darkness, right? Uh, here's the thing, is that th- there's not one of the men not one of them. One of the things that they all had an agreement was that we need to be rescued. We need to be saved from this present darkness. And not one of them said, you know, no thanks. I'll do this my own way. Uh, not one of them were, were clueless as that woman was. They knew that they were lost and in need of help. And unless someone broke through their world, penetrated their world of darkness, they would be lost. I, I got to tell you something. We, we have such a great Savior and such a far greater rescue that has taken place 2,000 years ago as Jesus penetrated the darkness of this world. He's penetrated the darkness of this world, and he has rescued us from so great a disaster and so great a desperate situation. You know, one of the things that, that occurred when they brought the last man up, and, and, and there, there were men with different stories. The first guy that came up was a, a great-grandfather. A great-grandfather came up, right? And after that, there was, you know, in, in the mix, there was a 44-year-old man who had been planning a wedding. There was a 19-year-old. It was his first week on the job at the mine. And, and, and all had different stories, but all had this one same thing in common. They knew that they needed to be rescued. When they brought the last man up, 
the paramedics held up a sign and about a billion people read that sign. It was in Spanish and it said, mission accomplished. Well, our job is to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ, that there has been a mission that has been accomplished. But you know, the problem is is that some don't know that they're lost and, and some it just goes right over their head. And so our job is to communicate this great message that a rescue has taken place. In the conclusion of this series, I want to come full circle to where we began. We began, you remember, with a simple definition of what does it look like to have a heart after God? What does a heart, what's the definition of a heart after God? And simply it's this, it's to love what God loves and to care as God cares. If we would develop and cultivate and have a heart after God, then we will love what God loves and we will care as as God cares. And so we brought up David. The the Lord said, I found David to be a man after my own heart. And uh, we said that at best David was just a type and a shadow of of the greater son of David, of of the greater king after God's own heart. And we said that in the complex, in the unique person of Jesus Christ, who is both God and man, we have the best of both. We have, we have the, the God who is after our heart, as well as the man, the perfect quintessential man who is after the heart of God. So let me pose this question to you this morning. It's a simple one. And here's the question. Have you been rescued and brought up out of darkness? Can the following verse of scripture be spoken about you. And let me read it for you. It's Colossians chapter 1. I love this verse. It says, For he, God, has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and has transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son, who purchased our freedom and gave and forgave our sins. He rescued us from the kingdom of darkness. He transferred us. I, I love another translation says, says he has translated us. You know what, to be translated, to be transported. Literally, I, I love what, what the original Greek meaning is, that we have been abducted, kidnapped, if you will. God has taken us and plucked us out of the, the realm of do, the domain of darkness, and he has set us in the kingdom of the son of his love. David wrote in Psalm 23, one of the most beloved psalms, uh, recognized by, by people that don't even go to church or read scripture. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I, I shall not want. Uh, in the simplest terms that even children can understand, I mean, they could see the metaphor that, that what David was saying is, as a shepherd, God cares for me, God protects me, God nourishes me, God, God feeds me, he, he, he shepherds me, you know? But, and as e- simple as, as, and easy as that is to understand, there's one part of that that I think has never fully been understood. I think Andrew touched on it without even knowing it this morning when he said, when, when he said that, that we may be a thousand steps in front of God, but God is really right one step behind us. Actually, I think it's even better than that. You see, what David wrote at the conclusion of that psalm was that surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What he was saying was that goodness and mercy is in, literally, it is in hot pursuit of my life. 
It's not lagging behind way in the distance. God is not a distant God, a distant sovereign somewhere back there, you know, trying to catch up to us. No, he's around us and he's surrounding us until he soaks us and saturates us in this goodness that David simply says, goodness and mercy shall be in the hot pursuit of my life. Goodness and mercy. So what I want you to know this morning is this. It's not ju- David wasn't just talking about God's gifts of goodness and mercy to us. Because God doesn't just give us gifts. God gives us himself. You see, there is none good but God. And in fact, uh, to understand the character of God, we, we, we look at a moment in time in, with Moses. Remember Moses said, said said, I want you to, God, I want you to show me the evidence that I've found favor in your sight. If you say I found grace in your sight, then I, I, I'm just, I'm asking you now, show me your glory. And apparently God understood what he was asking for because God said, Moses, you, no man can see my face in the present state you're in and survive. Apparently the glory and the majesty of God is so, so beyond our ability to even articulate or, or to describe that it would be overwhelmingly, it, 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 would be, it would kill us in our present state. But God says, not to worry, this is what I will do. I will set you in this cleft over here by the rock and I will cause, listen, all of my goodness to pass before you. My goodness. All of the attributes of God are summed up in that one attribute of God's goodness. And, and then God says, I will proclaim my name I will proclaim the name of the Lord. And the name of the Lord there in English then is translated as loving kindness, gracious, merciful, long-suffering. But it's the same repetition of a Hebrew word from which well, for, for, it's called hasid, from, from which we understand and have heard sometimes the expression hasidic. It is the loving kindness. It is the tenderness and the goodness of God. So that, listen... God doesn't just give us his gifts. God gives us himself. Fast forward through the centuries until the fullness of time when God sent forth his son made of a woman, the very expression of the invisible Godhead in the face of Christ Jesus. Jesus came to redeem us, yes. Jesus came to forgive us, yes. Jesus came to rescue us out of darkness, yes. But more than that, he's come that he might bring us unto God. He gave himself so that he might bring us unto God. And you know that song, I love it so much that we've sometimes sung, we sang it a couple of weeks ago, he won't relent. He's after our heart. He won't relent until he has it all, until we can voluntarily say, my heart is yours. God will not relent because he's after our hearts. Son of God loves us this way. So if we would have a heart after God, we must love like he loves and we must care like he cares. One of the insights that the gospel provides for us about the nature of the heart of Jesus is we see his, his compassion. We see that Jesus was moved with compassion. 
Uh, th- 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 there were times when Jesus was moved with compassion for individuals. I, I love the fact that Jesus did not just care about the multitudes. He did care about the multitudes, but he also cared about, cared about individuals. He, he, he said to his disciples, he said, I must needs go through Samaria. They were en route to a, a specific location. And, but but if, you know, if you know the geography, you know, Jesus, there's a better way of going than going through Samaria. But he had an appointment. And that appointment was with the most unlikely of people. It was a woman who had, had five husbands and the man she was now living with was not her husband. But Jesus said, I must needs go through Samaria because he had... He cared about people. And you know, you look at the individuals that Jesus ministered to, the Zacchaeuses, the Nicodemuses, you know, the, the woman caught in the act of adultery. You know, his heart moving with compassion. But there's a great verse that talks about the multitude, and I wanted to, <clears throat> excuse me, point that out to you this morning. It's in Matthew chapter 9. It'll be up on the screen, verse 35. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. So Jesus did two things. He, he taught, he spoke, he revealed truth, but he also ministered to people's physical needs. He healed sickness and disease. Then verse 36 says this, but when he saw, but when he saw, there's juxtaposed to that. That word but is important to understand what, what is happening right here. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Now, what I want you to notice is that he was already moving in compassion. He was already healing sickness and diseases. He was already, already bringing life to people, but something Something special is going on here. Something different is happening here. That's why the word but is there. He saw the multitudes and he was moved with compassion because he viewed them as sheep not having a shepherd. Now, what, what's the story with sheep without a shepherd? Sheep without a shepherd perish. Sheep without a shepherd are lost. Sheep without a shepherd fall off of cliffs. Sheep without a shepherd fall into the water and they drown because they can't navigate the waters themselves. When sheep don't have a shepherd, they perish and they're lost. And I think that Jesus saw more than just in that image is the prophet of God in the man Christ Jesus saw down through the, I believe, down, my opinion, down through the, he saw, he saw me, he saw you, he saw us. He saw the church in, 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 in the prison of the darkness underneath the surface of this earth like those 33 miners lost unless he had come to the rescue. And he was moved with compassion. The word compassion that is used there, I'll I'll use the old uh, first century uh, analogy. He was moved in his bowels. His intestines began to ache and to hurt as he felt the need for human pain and human desperation. This is the reflection of the heart of Jesus. This is what he came. But he didn't only come to rescue us from the darkness. He came, if I could say it this way that you understand, he came to rescue us from God himself. What do you mean? He came to rescue us from the wrath of God, from the justice 
that God demanded because God can never wink at sin, that we are not saved by grace at the expense of righteousness, but we are saved by grace through righteousness. And the God-honoring way in which Jesus Christ found a way to, to absorb the wrath of God for us in a way that he would be just and the justifier of those that believe. This is, this is love vest as the ocean, like the song says, loving kindness like the sun. When the prince of peace, our ransom, shed for us his precious blood. I want to read something that Jonathan Edwards wrote back in the 1800s. It's so powerful. Put yourself in this place. He says, one day the saints in heaven shall see the dreadful miseries of the lost and consider that they deserve the same misery and that it was sovereign grace and nothing else which made them so to differ. If it had not been for that, they would have been in the same condition but that God from all eternity was pleased to set his love upon them, that Christ had laid down his life for them and had made them thus gloriously happy forever. Oh, how they will admire the dying love of Christ, which has redeemed them from so great a misery and purchased for them so great happiness. It has so distinguished them from others of their fellow creatures. How joyfully will they sing to God and the Lamb when they behold this. And we are staggered and we are amazed and we, and we, are, we are speechless when we see this, that there is nothing to distinguish us from those that are lost except that God had set his sovereign love upon us. That the lost became chosen and the lost became found. See, there's so much at stake. It's not enough for us to enjoy the fresh air and the light of having been rescued from darkness. Not enough. Not when we have fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles and cousins. You see, because the, the, the bad news is, I've told you the good news, but the bad news is, is that there are still so many who are, who are lost in darkness and don't know it or who are lost in darkness and have heard the message and it went right over their head, or who are lost in darkness and don't really believe it. God so loved the world. God so loved the lost. You know, in that phrase, the, the tiniest word is the most significant of words. It's the word so, God so, God so. Who, who could measure the so of God's love? I believe, and I've said this before, that all eternity itself will not be long enough for the unveiling of that magnitude of the so. This is how much his love does. A gentleman by the name of Bill Adams is the CEO of a, of a large hospital in uh, the Virginia area. And they got a frantic call from a woman who said that her mother had just passed away at his hospital. And what they realized is that they could not find her wedding ring. Her mother and father had been married for over 50 years. It was an amazing, loving couple. And her father said with tears 
that I would just love to put that ring back on your mother's finger before we bury her. And we can't find it. We've searched all over. We, we believe that the last time that she had it was at, at the hospital. Can you help? Is there anything that you can do to help? And, and he was moved by this love story. He, he, he said, whatever I can do, I'll help. So he went down to the hospice ward where she had been and, and told the staff, we've got to search for this ring. They looked in the room. They looked under the bed. They looked in the bathroom, in the drain. They looked all over. Wherever they can think of, they looked, and, and, and yet there was, there was, you know, listen, how many of you ever been there? Did you ever lose a ring, you know? I know I have, and I know I've searched for that thing. They searched and couldn't find it. He went back to his office, and he just was feeling, feeling like there was something more that could be done, feeling like he just didn't want to give up, feeling like something else that should be done. And then all of a sudden, it hit him. And he went down to the basement of the hospital, down into the laundry chute. And there in the laundry bin, he, he got, climbed into the laundry bin and he began to scour through the, the dirty, soiled laundry and, and take everything out until finally there in the corner of the, the bin, there was the ring. He said, I will never forget the look on that woman's face or on the look of her father's face when I handed him the ring. That trouble searching for a ring. Look at what God has done in searching for the lost. It's not a sentimental story. It's a story of the most amazing passion, the most amazing compassion that the world has ever known, that Jesus Christ has plunged into the depths of the dirty, soiled laundry of our lives to rescue us, to bring us to a place where he can present us to his Father as spotless and holy and beautiful. You might be here this morning and you might be feeling a little bit like that CEO when he sat in his office there's something more that I could do. There's, there, there, there's, I'm not willing to give up because there are fathers and mothers and there are brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles and cousins. That's what's at stake. And you feel like there's something else that you can, you can, can, can I tell you what you can do? You can begin to love the way Jesus loves and give the way Jesus or cares, care the way Jesus cares. There, there are things that we can be doing. The, the, we are the message to those that are lost. One of the things I love to do in, in, in attempting to persuade God to save the, the ones that I love, I, lo I love to tell God what he said, what he went on record, what Jesus went on record of. Remember when they gave him that coin and they said, whose image is on this? And, he, and, and, and they said, it's Caesar's. And he said, well, give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, but you give to God the image that, that belongs to God. And there are men and women in my family who bear the image of God. And I put God in remembrance. You said, give to, give to you what belongs to you. They belong to you. They bear your image. I think we need to, to never give up, to never quit, to never stop searching and trying. As a staff, we're reading um, a great book by uh, Andy Stanley. 
we're, we're leading, uh, reading it, we're discussing it among ourselves on Wednesdays, and uh, we were reminded that the word church, ecclesia, uh, ask Andrew to pronounce it later, you'll get a good laugh. Uh, no, I'm just teasing. Uh, the word church as we know it, as it's been translated into English, has a connotation that, 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 that is, was not meant in that first century. When people think of church, they think of the building, they think of the bricks, they think of the mortar, but, but God never intended the church to be simply bricks and mortar of buildings. It was never his intention. It was always people. It was always grandfathers. It was always great-grandfathers and some, some who are starting on this journey for the first time, some who are planning a wedding, some people just like those miners that were brought up out of that tomb. And so the church is what we're to love. There are two things that Jesus loves. Jesus loves the lost, and Jesus loves to make the lost the found and call them his church, his assembly of called out believers. So in Ephesians chapter 5, it says this, Christ loved the church, the assembly, and gave himself up for her to make her holy, to cleanse her by the washing of water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or blemish, but holy and blameless. We who were once lost have become a part of the found. And we who are once blind now see so that we can have the heart of God, that we can have the same kind of love that he has for the lost and that we have the same kind of love that he has for the church. And maybe that's the biggest challenge of all. It's easy to love people in another third world country whom we've never seen. But to love somebody who I'm rubbing shoulders with and to love somebody who sometimes there's conflict and there's sometimes pressure, that's the challenge for us. At the uh, Q&A last week, one of the questions was asked and kind of fed to me was, was the question, how do, you, how do you endure, how do you survive when ministry uh, is sometimes so difficult and sometimes so challenging. And my answer was, in the, in the eight, similar to that of the, the six, that, that we in ministry have this as a philosophy that we are to minister to an audience of one. That is that everything that we do, we're to do to the glory and love of Jesus Christ. Now, we're to love people and we're to love the lost. But really... Our focus is on glorifying one Jesus Christ, one person. I was thinking on the way home, it, it didn't occur to me at the time and probably wouldn't have said it, but I was thinking on the way home uh, the, about that statement and about an experience I had about 25 years ago. It was a season in my life where, you know, the question brought up, how difficult sometimes ministry can be. And it was a season in my life where I had experienced just kind of like this insurrection that was taking place among a few families. And it was a betrayal that, that really wounded my, my soul and my heart, my wife. And uh, I remember just, just being so 
so grieved. It was like, it was like the loss of someone. It, it, it wasn't a depression. It wasn't, I wasn't discouraged. It was, it was more like a, just a sadness. Waves of sorrow just would, would, would come over me. There would be times I, I remember being, being in a supermarket and, and just doing the shopping and then all of a sudden just feel like, you know, just feel like crying. And I remember, I remember that afternoon uh, coming, coming back from the supermarket and taking the stuff out of, out of the car. Remember, it was right in the driveway when I had one of those encounters with the Lord where I know he was speaking, not in an audible voice, but in such a strong impression on my heart. It was like the, the conversation that Jesus was having with Peter. And he asked me the question. He said, do you love me? And I said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. He said, shepherd my people. And again, he said, do you love me? And I said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Like Peter, and I knew right away where he was going. And he said, feed my people. Because if you love me, you will love my people in the same way that I love my people. See, I was betrayed. I was, I was forsaken. I was wounded in the house of my friends. When we begin, and I, and I gotta tell you, I'll, I'll, just, I'll just tell you this, I can't even remember the individuals that, that season in my life that I'm talking about. I don't remember the specifics. I gave it up. And I've forgotten about it, but I remember the season because I think that that season was important because it was a developing growth in my life where I began, I believe, to model the heart of God for his people. What I want you to take away from this message this morning and from this series this morning is simply this, that the mission is humanly impossible. This mission that we have of rescuing the perishing and rescuing the lost is humanly impossible. But with God's heart, it becomes mission accomplished. We can hold up the sign before watching angels and say, we can do with God what we could never do by ourselves. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning for the series that we've been considering about cultivating and developing a heart after God. My prayer, Lord God, at the conclusion of the series is that through this word, Lord God, through, through, through these messages, that we are closer to that reality than ever before. That you made it possible by sending the spirit of your son into our hearts to shed abroad the love of Christ so that that love that you had for us can be a love that we share with others. That the same kind of care, the same kind of giving, the same kind of sacrificing, not, not that we die for people, but that we lay down our lives for the brethren. That we lay down our rights that we prefer one another, that we, that we honor one another, that we are willing to pray for one another, that we're willing to, 
to give of our substance and of our resources. I think that's the evidence of our love. You, you, you ask for that as the proof of our love, that we might grow in the grace of giving, in the grace of loving, and in the grace of serving. So I pray this morning, Father, that we've been brought closer, we've been brought so near so that we can hold up that sign, mission accomplished, that the lost become saved, that the lost become found. And this is our prayer this morning. Let's all stand as we worship him once again.